You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. Okay, well, Happy New Year to everyone. Go to Psalm 23 and uh, give me a a little bit of runway here to get us uh, into the new year for sure. And uh, just today's message uh, uh, mirrors a pre-recording on uh, that we did for our YouTube channel, uh, and kind of firing that thing uh, back up. So uh, Psalm Psalm 23, which says in verse one, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not what." The Lord Jesus be with us now, God, as we come to you, asking that you uh, would meet with us. Lord, the deepest desire and need of our hearts is that we would meet with you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So jumping right into this message here for the new year, and I'm going to do something on peace this week, uh, peace of mind, and next week, and I'll sort of kind of introduce a few of these thoughts as we, as we get into it. Uh, but what I've entitled this message really is, you must deal with this. You must deal with this and that is stolen peace of mind. And everything that we have been through uh, as a culture, and I'm not going to repeat it, you know, we had a pandemic, and then we had all kinds of economic stresses, and uh, just, you know, political back and forth, whatever side of the street aisle you're on, there's just some unique political tensions about that. And even just most recently, although I'll tell you, God's being glorified in what I'm about to say, Uh, But just a a week ago, a young man in the NFL, routine tackle, really, uh, nothing, you know, violent or uh, extra mustard, as they would say, you know. But anyway, he he tackles a wide receiver and uh, and he almost dies right there on the field. There's there's a difference, as you know, between a heart attack. A heart attack generally is midlife or older and your, your, your body chemistry gets to you or your lifestyle gets to you and your arteries get thick and full and then you have a heart attack, uh, that's, that's a heart attack. You know, the plumbing uh, doesn't work anymore. Cardiac arrest is when you have a neurological syst- signal that goes off. And that's what happens to him, what could happen to sometimes uh, other people. And so this tackle just sent uh, a breakdown in his brain as it was sending a neurological signal to his heart and his heart actually stops right there on the field, a professional athlete. And so um, interesting on that side, if you've been following that story, so, so, so the next, I think it was that night, actually, there was a, a commentator. He once played in the NFL, and he loves the Lord, but in the nature of that, kind of being what you might call more quiet about it. And here he is on national television, and he says, right now is the time to pray in Jesus' name. And, uh, and he just... He just starts praying, you know, very much just true gospel intercession, you know, just knocks everybody out. And then the teams are on the floor. And of course, you know, that's emotion and that's spirituality, but they're being led by people that I know, a few of them personally, a few of the ministries they come out of by gospel Jesus name. And if you uh, now they kind of muted it, but if you if you can listen and find a few of these on YouTube, they are praying in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this one guy is praying on the field in the same way that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. So raise our brother up from the dead. I mean, this is really gospel faith that's going on. So very interesting things that are happening. But related to 
all of those circumstances, pandemic, no pandemic, politics, no politics, uh, injuries have we just described. Uh, the last few years has been something of drama and trauma for us as a culture. And I'm here to tell you that your peace has been stolen from our culture and possibly from your lives. And I want to speak into that through Psalm 23. And I know for myself, probably by way of introduction, how I like to share that is when I was a boy, uh, my house was broken into twice and things were stolen. Now, what's funny to me, uh, I come from a working class root family. So ours was not the house to break into if you wanted anything good, you know? I, mean, I Like, that's a really dumb thief. Like, that's, you know, like, why, wow, really, you're going to break into our house, you know? And I'm, and I'm just old enough to where, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you know, our TV, you couldn't steal our TV because it was a massive piece of furniture, you know? And so you would have needed a crane or a lift or something, you know? And besides, you didn't want that thing anyway. It was so old and dated, and on and on it went. And if you came to our house, my parents were incredibly generous as, as immigrants, and so uh, you know, if you, my dad would have let you drive the car, might have given you the car. If you needed clothes, you would have gotten that. If you wanted food, they would have invited you in, and my Puerto Rican grandmothers would have cooked a feast for you, you know? So, like, we were like, what? Why is somebody stealing from our house, you know? And so I remember, you know, uh, as we just inventoried the things, you know, my parents saying, you know, you know, they didn't steal anything from us. But that's actually not true. Because what was stolen from us was actually something more precious than an old clunky TV or anything that we would have had. They actually stole our peace of mind. And over the days and weeks as you clean up from uh, all the damage and all the bad things that were done that I won't recount, and as you start repainting walls and all of that, my parents and all of us began to feel very uneasy in this house. Like, we love our neighbors, and, you know, like, what, what was this all about? And you began to feel this, like, disturbance of this peace of mind, and so we would actually move. And that's kind of what I feel like has happened to us as a, as a people, as a culture, where, where the enemy has <clears throat> stolen peace of mind, and people have moved into unhealthy places. And so I'm going to read and teach here from Psalm 23 with you where I've already said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now I'm going to do this very slowly. The Lord is my, say it out loud, is my shepherd. So you'll hear all kinds of different teachings on this. And so related to the shepherd, I just want to say that shepherds, that was a legitimate profession. And there were good shepherds and bad shepherds which is why Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Uh, so just like any other job in any other profession, there could be people who are good at the job and faithful to it and were good people and others that were bad. And so a shepherd was something and some person, if you don't know anything, then take this, they were on it. A shepherd was not the kind of person who got information and they blew it off, uh, you know, or that they're going to be tardy about it and, so, you know, we had, a, what, a week ago, two weeks ago, one of our goats had a coyote jump over the fence and take one of them out. And so, you know, so all of a sudden we're here. Yeah, it's really gory and gruesome. And so, so anyway, we're on it. You know, we kind of know what to do and uh, how to handle all of that, which I won't describe, but we're just on it the very, the very moment it's happening. And, 
So a shepherd would be on it uh, in the same, same exact way. And you need to know that you're thinking about your life and you're thinking about your circumstances, you're thinking about your future. What's going to happen to my business, my life, my relationships, my family, and these circumstances. And you need to know that Psalm 23 is saying, the Lord is my shepherd is, the Lord is on it in your life. Like he's not late. You might, you might tell me the story and you might, in your mind's eye, think that God's movement or deliverance, like, well, he seems slow to me, Lord. Uh, you know, pastor, as I, as I talk about the Lord, he seems slow to me. No, he's not. He's on it. And his timing is perfect. And he knows what you need. And so he is that good shepherd. And I've known a few shepherds, you know, even here in the valley. Like I was always impressed with my friend. He's now with Jesus, Larry Sarlos, who was an incredible farmer and uh, venture. And he was on it. You know, if you knew Larry, he was an on it guy. He was on it in ag work. And he had his head really screwed on straight and he, things didn't get past him. And if you look at his sons are versions of shepherds. You know, one son is actually the, whole, the head coach of baseball for TCU. You know, go Horned Frogs, right? Playing the big game tomorrow. And, uh, and then his son, uh, Keith, local, I follow Keith on Instagram. And, you know, Keith would never say this, never say this. And probably even a little embarrassed to hear me talk this way. But, uh, well, maybe not. Keith is actually hard to embarrass, uh, if you guys know him. Uh, but, but once a week, when you listen to his Instagram feed as he talks about what he's doing, he's a shepherd. You know, he's talking about, I'm on it for these things in life. I'm on it. My father taught me to be on it. And so I'm, I'm taking that inheritance from my father and I'm on it in the same way. Just examples of shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. And so you shall not want because he's on it in your life. Love the phrase, makes me lie down in green pastures, which is the Lord telling you that he has good things for you in good places for you. He will lead you beside still waters. Everybody say this next line with me out loud. Ready? One, two, three, go. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Uh, raise your hands for everybody who needs some restoration in their soul, right? Okay, that's, that's us because we're human. We're humans, right? So we, we need heart restoration. We need soul restoration. We need mind transformation and restoration all the same way. And so he wants to restore your soul, uh, how you can experience life correctly, your discernment and decision-making patterns, uh, everything that makes you happy. And, you know, people don't even know how to be happy. The Lord is going to show you that. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I think about this next phrase, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no, what does it say again, church? Evil. I'll fear no evil. For you are with me. You are with me. And I've recounted just personally some life circumstances for us where I just have seen God just grab me and grab us as a family, and he's, he, he is living, we're walking through this psalm personally, just as you are in many other ways, and he has got you. He's walking you. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That is what you think. It's the shepherd's staff. It's designed for many different things. It could be for discipline. Hey, don't do that. It could be for stern discipline. Really don't do that. It could be for just a little bit more here and just a little bit more there. 
but it's the idea of a presence being on you so that you know the right way to go. And the Lord is present in your life <clears throat> and he is guiding you in the right way to go. And so sometimes you feel a little uncomfortable in the way that an animal would feel uncomfortable with that shepherd's rod and staff, but he is actually leading you and guiding you in the exact way that you need to go. And there's a comfort to that. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I mean, this just really blows my mind. The Lord would actually say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I don't feel like I have these great enemies in life. You know, I don't sit there. I don't, I don't have a booklet, book where I would open up. I go, so-and-so's an enemy. <laughs> Do you have one of those? If you have one, a book like that, don't tell me. I don't have a book like that. No, enemy, enemy, enemy. I don't, but the Lord says you do because I have enemies against my gospel. And so whatever that looks like is, there is this banquet table. And the easy way to think of it is to think about most of our holidays, you know, Thanksgiving, kind of like the longer table and some homes had more people coming. So I know somebody was telling me they were buying two or three extra Costco tables because you know, they, they invited everyone in their extended family and everybody said yes. <laughs> and they're like, oh no, I need more chairs and more tables and more tablecloths. And so they're buying these extra really, really long table. And so that's kind of an idea of a banquet feast and just plenty of the best morsels and food and everything there. And you're just enjoying it. Well, in the presence of the enemies of God, which are your enemies, that banquet table is for you. Complete rejoicing. God says, you are mine. These enemies or whatever they are, these spirits or whatever they are, they are not ours. You are mine. And so you come to the banquet table. You come to the feast of God. You get blessed of God. And these enemies, they just read him and weep. Incredible that God has that for you. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's anointing, as I, you know, an anointing of the Holy Spirit, but an anointing that my head is actually anointed, my mind anointed of God. My cup is actually overflowing, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. Incredible, incredible song. Peace has been stolen, I believe, from our culture and even from Christians. And so now I'm going to walk you through the practice and practicum of this psalm. And, and I'm going to do, do a few things very, very quickly. How to gain peace of mind. How to gain peace of mind. So here's the first thing I want to share with you related to Psalm 23 and how to gain and regain peace of mind. First principle is this. You must talk about the things you need to talk about. Silence is not golden, okay? Quiet oftentimes for us as humans means we're quitting. And, and we feel that in interpersonal relationships when it could, be, it could be lovers, it could be marriage, it could be friends, and sometimes there'll be tension and then the relationships will say, well, why won't you talk to me? Because for one person, it, I, I, I want you to talk to me. You're not talking to me. It feels like you're quitting on me. Silence, in terms of peace, is not golden. You have to talk about 
the things that you actually need to talk about. If you're younger and you're in your teens or your 20s and 30s, you have certain things you need to talk about. Certain kinds of fears are, are very real uh, to those generations in that age. And midlife, 30s, 40s, and 50s, there's, there's obviously different kinds of fears and concerns. And in the golden years of 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and 100, uh, those are different kinds of fears. So you have to actually talk about that. There's people out here, really, even in church and even in Christianity, that they think trusting God means I don't talk about the things inside my soul. Are you kidding me? Where did you learn that? You didn't learn it from Jesus. You learned it from your own hurt and pain because maybe you opened yourself up at some time, maybe to a Christ follower, maybe to a pastor, maybe to somebody else. You open up your heart and you did not receive back the ministry that you felt, however you interpret that, and so now it's clammy. And that's to your laws. You have to talk about the things you need to talk about. Just yesterday, I don't know how many they were for the grief share ministry here. There was a whole bunch of people there, you know, you know, going there. And that's beautiful. And that's exactly how it should be. You have to talk about the things you need to talk about. You need to have life with a concentric circle where you have your inner circle and a few outer circles. That's just the nature of it. And you need to be able to talk to each of those parties in that group and open yourself in a certain kind of way of vulnerability for the good of your own soul. Oh. How y'all doing? <laughs> okay, you need to talk about the things you need to talk about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to camp on that in the coming weeks. In light of kids ministry here, I'm going to hustle a little bit. Let me give you this phrase um, because I can't linger with us. I'm going to give you this phrase that if the church was as transparent as the people in the Bible that we read about, we'd be okay. I'll repeat it to you. The Bible is a very transparent book in terms of personal relationships. If the church was as transparent <clears throat> as the people in the Bible that we read about, we'd be okay. So um, I've got to hustle. Otherwise, I'm going to have some kids that are going to be crazy because they're all cooped up in a house. So let me just say it this way. John chapter 21, verse 15. <clears throat> I was going to have us read this, and I'm not. But John chapter 21, verse 15, very last chapter of the gospel of John. And so, and so Jesus appears on the side of the lake. Peter jumps in, right? He's Peter. And, and so he's just going to, he's going to be over-enthusiastic, he sees the Lord. This is after the resurrection. Okay, so right, Jesus went to the cross. Everybody say yes. yes. Very good. Very good. I love that. Okay. Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. Everybody say yes. yes. Okay, so now after the resurrection, Jesus is ministering to people. And so his appearances are here. Uh, the apostles see him. They're in the boat. They go to run with Jesus. They're very stoked about this. And so now Peter is going to have a conversation with Jesus. And he's like, okay, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. And Jesus comes to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Well, Lord, you, you, you know I love you. No, do you love me? Well, I gave up everything. I left my business and I've, I've served you faithfully. I've been all the way. No, he doesn't quite even brag. He just says, yes. 
And then Jesus presses him again and says, do you love me? You know what Peter says? You know all things. So any response, you know better than what I would say. So how about you know all things? Feed my lamb, tend my sheep. Then they're talking. And John, like John Wood, is the youngest of apostle. You know, he's kind of lurking. You ever have friends lurk socially? Like you kind of like if two or three or four of you are talking. This kind of even happens in church, and it's just human nature. And then there's somebody on the periphery, and you're trying to find out should they be in the conversation or not, or that kind of thing. And so John wants in the conversation, and Jesus is saying no, and Jesus is going to have a very transparent conversation with John and kind of tell him about this, and they're going to tell something about Peter. In other words, there's a transparency there that is going on between the apostles and Jesus and one another. That's what I'm trying to illustrate. And it comes up, I was going to give us, you know, John chapter 21, if you follow in your Bible, you can go to Acts chapter 1, it happens again. Where, where, where Jesus is going to say, wait, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, then I've got to leave, and then the apostles are panicking. Wait, wait, you're leaving? You can't leave. No, you, Jesus, do not leave. Right? That's sort of all implied there. And, and so they're going to ask him, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom? You've been talking about this kingdom. And you say, we have a place in your kingdom. Are you going to restore it at this time? Are you going to restore it? It's a very serious conversation. It's not for you to know. That's what Jesus says. But you'll be baptized with power, and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. That comes after a transparent conversation. Okay, secondly, in terms of how to rebuild peace and the things that are spoken of here, related in Psalm 23, related to surely and goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Second principle, I want to talk about rebuilding peace. Here's a phrase I want to give to you, churches. God builds his glory in Goshen. God builds his glory in Goshen. So, boy, I have loved for the past two years I've been studying about in the Bible this place called Goshen. So I could really go crazy right now. Let me just run for home with this principle and say that Goshen goes back to Moses, goes back to Joseph and Egypt and Pharaoh and all of those days. And what you might not really know very quickly about Goshen is that it was beautiful and that it was uh, very much uh, an ag delta, very similar to Sacramento uh, River Delta, where this salt water comes in with such pressure that it creates uh, this estuary, very, very large, and that that salt water gets filtered under the ground and it pops out as this incredible green belt that's established. You and I look at it, it's kind of the area more, more or less related to the Suez Canal, but we think of that as arid and dry and desert. It wasn't like that. It was incredible. It was a luscious green belt. And so when the Israelites went down there, everything they could grow, they could grow crops, they could have animals, they could manufacture things, they could build things. There's a trade route right there. And I'm not saying they became like Bill Gates wealthy or anything else like that. What I'm saying is that they had more than you might think. Of course, Pharaoh came with taxes and all of a sudden would take and they'd have to start over. And that's part of the, the difficulty of that experience. But I'm saying that God built his, his glory in Goshen. And you might say, well, look at my circumstances, Pastor. Look where I'm at. I'm saying build right there, Christ in your heart, Christ in your life, right there in the kingdom of God and see what God does. Yes. We have the temptation to run. Right. We have the temptation 
to, to, to want something else other than the storm that's right in front of us. And if you build right there in that context, God does something fantastic. And for those Israelites, now uh, last kind of point related to that is that a generation later, they were so powerful, they were a threat politically to Pharaoh. Build in Goshen, build in Goshen. Third principle, graciously grow your no muscle. So, you, you know, when we look at this really nice verse here, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You will not have that unless you graciously grow your no muscle. The, the word righteousness in the Bible comes from the idea of being able to say no. And so your inability to say no means you're a people pleaser. There's no other way to say that. There's no nice way to say that. Are you a people pleaser? Don't answer that question. <laughs> Nobody in church wants to, you know, yes, I am. Well, it's a challenge to not be a people pleaser, of course. But if you are, then you're in bondage to something. And it's not good. So start by saying no to the things you need to say no to, you know, and, and allow Jesus Christ to be the very center of your life. Last principle we'll pray. is Ecclesia in the Bible is actually the Greek word for church. And Ecclesia is like a community, like a, like a group. And so that needs to be the anchor. In other words, you need, to be, you need to be in a church community. And you need to be a giver in that church community and a participant with it. You need to have, have friends. You need to invite people in your lives and, and be with them on that journey and, 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 and be with them through the highs and through the lows. And that, that, that's the, the beauty of relationship and community. And so we are designed by God to live in community and to make disciples. And so Ecclesia has to be your anchor. And that is David's secret sauce here. For when he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, that is in the context of community. When it says, you anoint my head with oil, that is in the context of friendship and community. My cup overflows is the same way. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house. The very definition of that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever is the nature of community and ecclesia actually being the anchor. What a great psalm. And so what I, what, I, what I want to pray for right now is I believe some have had peace stolen from them, and I want to fight for that. And I want to fight for your life. I want to fight for your peace. Our church wants to fight for your life. Our church wants to fight for your peace. You need to cooperate with God in this, but we want to contend for the faith in your life. And so pray with me, church. Pray with me. So Lord Jesus, we come now and we pray, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we ask God that these blessings which you have for us related to an abiding peace, a supernatural victorious peace, a true peace which surpasses every form of knowledge and understanding, that this be true and anchored and cemented, God, in our lives. And so, Jesus, visit us now with the power of the Holy Spirit that your peace would be our peace and that we would be wise and skillful people in walking out your peace, that we would breathe in it and consume it and understand it.
Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.